0: So uh, good morning, everyone, and good to see you. Uh, John, thank you so much, mate. It's a few things you need to know. First of all, it's really cold this morning at the Hub, just to let you know. That's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that Matt is just incredible at Commando Crawl. He's been doing lots of it this morning, moving microphones around. I think it should be part of our staff recruitment now that we're gonna do an assault course, and I'm just being told to use a different microphone. Thank you very much. Is that better, folks? Yeah, okay, we're all good to go. So, uh, in case you didn't catch any of that, my name's Mark. Welcome. Good to see you. And uh, yes, it is cold, and Matt is doing more commando crawling right now. We're going to set up an assault course for him later. He'll have great fun. So, Hey, this morning, this morning, we are in a new preaching series, but before we get into the whole depths of that, I want you to use your imagination this morning, and the thing I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine me, Mark, as a 10-year-old boy. Okay, this is gonna take some imagination. The first thing you need to imagine is the fact that I had some 1980s wonderful square kind of gold-edged glasses, that was my style. I had my kind of feeler kind of sweatshirt on, and then I had some awesome, wonderful blonde hair. This is the bit where imagination really kicks in, okay? Where I had this blonde hair with a side parting just here, swept over. And I have just been told the news that our family is getting a dog. This is good news. I'm an only child, we're living in Fakenham and Fakenham's officially the most boring place on earth apparently according to a Radio 1 survey Uh, but we're (laughs) living there and my first task, first thing is what are we going to call our dog? What name are we going to give him? Now I was a massive Star Wars geek, still am and so straight away I was going to my top list of Star Wars names and the first name I came up with was Yoda. Okay, he's the little green dude from Star Wars. I wanted Yoda. My mum said immediately no, because she didn't want to be screaming Yoda out across the park. She didn't feel that that was very good. So my second option, I went straight to Jabba the Mutt, Okay, so Jabba the Hutt is a character from Star Wars, he's a slug, and I thought, you know, my creativity alone is going to get me this one, you know? No, that was a straight no as well. So eventually I went with my third option, which was Wicket, who is a, uh, a little furry bear creature from Star Wars. And because of the connotations with Cricket as well, this was an acceptable name for our dog. And so we had this lovely dog called Wicket, Labrador Retriever Cross, black thing. He was awesome. He was daft as. uh, He was diabetic, so I had to give him injections in the back of his neck. You know, he's that kind of, (laughs) that's crazy. So just to say, if you need help, COVID kind of injections, I can give them in the back of the neck. I know what to do there. It's fine. Uh, But there was just this whole deal going on there. Now, the whole effort of naming a pet, honestly, we've had a cat in the last four years, and it's just a mission naming a cat. And any parent knows as well the kind of effort you go into in kind of choosing a name for your children there is so much at stake with kind of the names of things and companies spend millions on rebranding it's really interesting when you look at names that have changed over the years with companies you see some really interesting ones so 1961 brad's drink changed to pepsi I know, right? Can you imagine going into the pub now? Well, you have to imagine going to the pub anyway. You go into the bar and you say, can I have a Coke? Oh, sorry, we don't serve Coke, sir. We only serve Brad's drink. Just my bugle. you can see why they changed the name. 1968, Peter's Super Submarine changed to Subway. Right? I, I did not know this. This is interesting stuff. I think the whole branding thing would have changed. 1971, Blue Ribbon Sports Tiger Shoes changed to Nike. There you go. So blue, blue ribbon sports tiger shoes, just do it. Not quite the same ring, has it? But that changed to Nike. 1990, this is kind of a controversial one. I still need counselling over this one. 1990, Marathon changed its name to Snickers. How could they do that? It seems so, so there. <laughs> and then probably my favourite, 1998, Backrub changed the name to Google. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a great one, isn't it? You just, I'm going to Google it. No, I'm going to Backrub it. I I don't know what to say there really. Now, these companies spend millions on their rebranding, on what they want to be called. And the reason they do this is because they're trying to present an image. They're trying to present something they want to be. They're communicating something of who they are or what they want to be really known for to the general populace. And when we get into this new series that we're looking at is that name above name series we're going to be looking at how God reveals himself and what he calls himself and what other people call him throughout the Bible and it is all about him revealing himself it's all about him saying look this is who I am as we focus week by week on different names of God we're going to be focusing in on these wonderful names that tell us so much of who God is. Now that's really important because who God is, is up there with the singly most important thing you can get into your head. Who God is, who we are, what he says about other people, those kinds of things, but who he is, is where we start. Because if he's not who he says he is, then we're in trouble. So we're going to start by looking at a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 46. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it and find Psalm 46. I'm going to read it, it'll be up on the screen as well, but do get your Bibles out, because In here, there's just some beautiful nuggets that are going to just introduce us to who God says he is. His name above all names, which is worthy of worship. So here we go, Psalm 46. We're going to read the entire thing from my brand new Bible that I got for Christmas from my mother-in-law. It's got slightly bigger print. I've hit that age, folks. So here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the j- nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This series is all about knowing God, it's knowing who He is. And straight away, this psalm opens with God. And that word for God there is Elohim. It's, it's the word that is used in, in multiple areas of this kind of psalm in verse 1, 4, 5, 7, 10, and 11. And it's actually used loads of times throughout the Old Testament. 2,249 times, in fact, if you want to count them all, and in all the verses in the Old Testament. And then there is this sense, though, that that word God is used not only for God, capital G, God, But also gods as well. It's the word that the Bible uses for all kinds of gods in there. Now, to help you in your Bible, in your translation, what you'll find is that whenever it's referring to God, our God, it's capital G. When it's referring to kind of imposter gods, uh, demonic forces that are, are kind of representing as gods, it's little g. Okay, so you get that differentiation in your Bible to help you. And what we see here is that God, capital G, whenever he uses it, what he is doing is he is defining who he is. And he's not only defining who he is, he's defining what God is, all right? Now, let me get this in context for you. It's a bit like there are loads of presidents throughout the world. There are presidents of golf clubs, of bowling clubs. There's a president of the United States of America. But there are loads of different ones. And so what? The equivalent thing is happening in the Bible with regards to what this word God here, Elohim, is being used like. It's a bit like the President of the United States standing up and going, I am the only President in the entire world and you shall worship me. I am going to refrain from any political comment at this point, okay? So there is this whole sense of actually God defining what God is within the Bible when you see God being used in this capital G yellowing kind of way. And there is this only God, the only one who is worthy of worship. Now as we go through this series what you're going to see is God actually just doesn't use this one word, actually he uses all sorts of things to describe himself and all sorts of words to describe himself and these can be uh, like uh, natural things, so he's He's eagle, he's fire, he's all of these kinds of natural things that are, uh, get communicated. He's also kind of uh, roles, so father, husband, shepherd, those kinds of aspects, those kinds of things going on. He's uh, act. So he remembers, he sees, his emotions, joy, anger, those kinds of things. He's kind of represented by human body, a, a tongue, hand, mouth, and personal characteristics as well, like good and joy and righteousness. Now, some of those things, as we go through this series, what you'll see is that's actually God declaring, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. In other ways, in other times, it's actually humanity kind of recognizing what God is doing and allocating that name to him and saying, this is what I see and this is who you are. They use their own experience to recognize him, but whatever, in wherever kind of way that is happening, God is always revealing himself to be what he is like. He's using, if you like, the whole of earth, all of creation as an illustration of who he is. You know, as preachers, we love to reveal stuff through illustration. God uses the whole planet to reveal stuff about him, which is just amazing, really. He builds this thing so he can reveal stuff about it. Isn't that amazing? And he uses us as well and our roles and our emotions. He says, hey, look, I built you like this so you would reveal something of me so you could get to know me because he wants you to know him. J.I. Packer, in his amazing book, Knowing God, which I highly recommend, says, I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. God wants you to know him. He is revealing himself to you through its creation, through emotions, through what humanity is like, through all sorts of ways. He just continues to reveal himself to us. And this wonderful sense in verse 1 of chapter 46 of the Psalm 46 says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is with us. He is with us, folks. As Christians, we have God with us. As this psalm carries on, it goes into verse 4 where it talks about the river in the city of God. Well, the river is the Holy Spirit. He is with us. God's presence. God himself with us in the form of the Holy Spirit in a Christian. And the city of God is the people of God, the church, if you like. And so he's with his people He's not going to abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He is with us in all occasions. The world churns and melts. But the promise is that he is with us and he will reveal more of himself to us in amazing and different ways. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That sense of that we are, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we're completely wrapped up in him like a plant, like a vine, connected to him in incredible ways. He is with us, but he is continually revealing something of himself to us all through that. And when he reveals something of who he is and his nature and his character by his name... What we get to do is we can use that in how we communicate with him. So we can pray into that. So when God says, I am healer or I am provider. Hey, guess what, folks? You can pray off the back of that. You can say, God, you are my healer. You say that's who you are. And so can you come and heal this? Or, Lord, you say you are provider. You are my provider. So guess what? Hey, come and provide in this situation. Lord, you are my protector, you are my shelter, you are my refuge. I'm really wrestling and struggling. Lord, I'm gonna come to you now and you said that is who I am and who you are. So there's these amazing things we can do. Now, let me change tack here slightly. I don't know whether or not you are an art lover, whether deliberate or, uh, you know, just you happen to know what you like or you kind of recognize that. But I know when I was growing up, I really liked classical art. So I would, uh, I'd find great appreciation in kind of some of the masters of old. So maybe Michelangelo, you know, with those great biblical scenes or kind of Greek uh, scenes that he would paint. Or perhaps it might be a constable or a turner with kind of like the art there and just the appreciation of how they were able to represent and paint almost a photographic picture of what they saw and kind of like that way of painting which was so realistic. I really appreciated that kind of sense of things. And I know that when uh, I used to travel to London for some meetings, I, I happened to go to a place uh, just around the corner from Trafalgar Square that I was having meetings in. And so this was happening kind of every other week. And so I would get the opportunity to go to the National Gallery because, you know, the meetings would either finish and I was waiting for a train or I'd get there a bit earlier so I'd have half an hour to spare. And I'd wander around the National Gallery of Trafalgar Square and look at these beautiful paintings like next to each other, room after room of masterpiece and masterpiece and masterpiece all together. And I'd stand and stare and kind of look at these wonderful pictures and kind of get lost almost in the beauty of them and appreciate how they they looked. Now 18 years ago uh, I met a beautiful woman called Caris who I've now been married to for 17 years and we we got together. Now the thing you need to know about Caris when I first met her she was still at the art school in Norwich and um, I, I have to say that the art school wasn't necessarily how I understood art when I first met Karras. There was a lot of stuff that happened there that I couldn't quite understand. You know, modern art was very much in vogue there and and kind of how it was represented and what was going on. So um, all of a sudden, my interest in modern art went from zero to lots for some reason. I can't imagine why. And our first date, actually, I took Karis to uh, the Tate Modern. And as we wandered around the Tate Modern, I, I kind of looked at all these different things, you know, the the Rothkos and a uh, uh, kind of uh, the Hursts and all these different artists. And I kind of looked down and went, "I have no idea what is going on here. I mean, it's just a bunch of lines. You know, how how is this art? What is this?" But as I, as I spent time with Karis and, and kind of started to look at art in new ways, I began to understand that actually the artists were not necessarily conveying what I understood to be art, but actually they were conveying something of their feelings, of their emotions, of what they were looking kind of at the world and seeing, and then they were conveying that in this way. And that got me really thinking. Now, the next time I kind of went and saw the the National Gallery and kind of looked around all the different areas, all of a sudden, I looked at these pictures, the, the Constables and the Turners and the Michelangelos, and I looked at them with new eyes. Because all of a sudden, I saw actually there was something in the composition that the artist was trying to communicate. This wasn't just a picture that looked nice. This was trying to communicate something. This was getting something across. In the brushstrokes even, there was something very deliberate in terms of how they were doing that, either in a passion, and in, a, in a rush in terms of some of the brushstrokes, or maybe in a deliberate way of drawing lines. There were ways that the artist was conveying wor- work, their work, which led to a deeper understanding. Because I'd looked at other pictures, because I'd looked at another style, I was able to appreciate more the kind of these other pictures. Now why am I saying this? Well I think when it comes to the names of God everyone has their favorite name or names. Everyone kind of has this entrenched place where they like to stand and look at God from a certain angle. It's like um, facets on a gem if you like. You like a particular angle and so you sit at that place. I know for me, we've just sung a song this morning, grace uh, is all I need, Uh, you know, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. I have not sung that in quite a while. It's great to sing that. But that is a very New Frontiers song because they were known or are known for kind of like their teaching on grace Okay, each kind of aspect. So if you look at the Puritans, they would be very much known for their holiness kind of teaching and their understanding of kind of that aspect. Or if you look at the guys over at Bethel, the the goodness of God. So lots of different places, lots of different people all have this understanding or this picture of God that they like to look at him from a certain particular angle. Now there's a wonderful ancient Indian proverb about an elephant that is brought into a village. And the villagers decide to get three blind men to come and feel this animal and tell them what it is. They don't tell them, tell them obviously what it is. And the first blind man goes up to the elephant and he feels the trunk and he goes, oh, that is clearly a snake. And then the second blind man goes up to the elephant and he feels the ear and he goes, oh, that is clearly a fan. And then the third blind man goes up to the elephant and feels the leg and he says, oh, that's clearly a tree stump. And in some stories it tells you that the the men come to blows and the villagers are highly entertained by this. Now, what's going on here is this, this kind of deal that no one person has a complete view of who God is. And that is why God loves to reveal himself with all of these different names in the Bible. He loves to communicate. He loves to kind of say, look, this is who I am. And what has happened through the years and through kind of like time or from different kind of cultures is that we all get a different perspective of who God is. And we might focus in on a particular name and get a really good understanding of him. Now, the danger is that when we do this is that we become entrenched in that position. And we think we are the only ones who actually have the right view of who God is. Because we're saying, look, this is biblical and this is the name and this is what it says he is. It's like, yes, yes, that's true. But when you kind of go over to these other kind of views of who the Christian God is, and I'm not talking about who the Buddhist God is or the Islam God is or any of those ones, I'm talking about the Christian God, and you look at who he has revealed himself to be through the Bible and you get another glimpse and you might look at his goodness or you might look at his holiness and then when you then come back to your favourite painting of the grace, you go, wow, wow. Because all of a sudden, you're going to see more in that. You're going to see greater measure of who he is. He is revealing even more of himself. You get a greater appreciation, a deeper grasp. And that is my heart, really, that through this series, you get a greater revelation of who God is. As we approach the different names of God, as we look at them and we kind of go into a deep understanding of them, I'm really hoping and praying that you will just get a greater and greater revelation of who he is. Because, folks, what happens is that when you know God, you get peace. When you know God, you get peace. You look at this psalm and you get that time after time. Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist minister in the 19th century. Um, he, he famously suffered with incredible depression, um, but he also lived through a flu pandemic, interestingly enough, in 1889. And he said this, he said, would you lose your sorrow? Would you down your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can comfort the soul, so calm the swelling of sorrow and grief. So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Verse 1 of Psalm 46 says... That you, God, are our refuge and strength. That is a fantastic line in itself. I could preach all day on that one. You see, refuge is the place that you run to. It's a place where you flee to. Strength is what you need for a fight. The most basic human instinct when presented with danger is either flight or fight. In both of those instances, God right here says, he is our refuge, the place we run to. And he is our strength. He provides in both of those amazing places. Now I have to say when it comes to the names of God. It is a huge step of faith that is needed in order to trust him to be who he says he is. That is what we have to fight for. That is what we have to say. We have to say Lord I trust you to be who you say you are. I trust you to be my provider. I, pro- I trust you to be my shelter. I trust you to be my strength. That is a step of faith in itself. But it is the step that countless Christians throughout the years have held on to in the deepest persecutions in times of war, in times of famine, in times of disease. They have held on to who he is and ultimately they have held on to the one name above all names, Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua which means he saves and one day we know that we will have a place at eternity because we trust in who Jesus' name is. Is We look at who he is and we need to let that sink in. In verse 10 of Psalm 46, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That Hebrew word there for for still is, is actually more akin to sink it's like being in a bath where you just let yourself rest that you're surrounded by the warm water and that you just let yourself rest in that moment you relax into it if you like that is a faith moment where you have to go I know I'm not going to drown I know I'm not going to be in trouble here but I'm going to allow myself to be immersed in who God says he is God wants you to stop and dwell on his name. To know that he is the only true God. To know that he is healer. To know that he is provider. To know that he is savior. Whichever name you need to rest in. Shelter, strength, whatever it may be. He wants you to steep yourself in that. To soak yourself in that. Now before John comes back up and leads us in one last song, I just want us to just do that for a bit really and I know with kids running around or at home this might be a challenge but I just want to encourage you to be quiet for a moment so just to let the tech guys know there's going to be a few moments of silence now as we go into uh, this, this thing, okay? So we're, we're just going to do that. I'm just going to pray and then we're just going to ask God to allow us to soak in him. So Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, We just rest in you right now. We just rest in you. We allow ourselves to sink into the fact that you are God. We allow ourselves to sink into who you say you are. Holy Spirit, we just want to dwell in this place right now. Jesus, be still. Jesus, thank you. Some of you, as you're leaning into this, it's going to be a real exercise of of trust. It's going to be one of those ones where you're going to have to go, yes, God, you are my provider, and you just lean into that. For others, it's that strength and shelter deal. You're going to have to really be still in that. The world will be going bonkers around you, but you just get to be still in that. Jesus. And there is definitely somebody watching who you need to just steeple or soak yourself in the fact that Jesus is saviour. May well be for the first time to actually recognise him as saviour. If that's you, I'd really encourage you to connect with the prayer room where some people can soak you in some prayer. We're just going to Linger just a few moments. Jesus, whether it's a savior, whether it's a strength, whether it's a provider, whatever it is, we just soak ourselves in you. We choose to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, just this one last exercise, what I want you to do is I just want you to say that Jesus, you are my whatever it is that you need to say right there. I don't know what that is for you, but you just need to say that as a declaration, as a statement of who he is to you. Say, Jesus, you are my savior. You are my healer. You are my provider. You are my strength. Let's do that together. Jesus, you are my. Let's worship that God that we've just declared.